The following is a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com. Amen. Amen. Gentlemen, if you'll go ahead and come, we'll go ahead and gather up the offering, also picking up the connection cards. Thank you for filling out the connection cards each week. I love praying over your, your card each week, many of you. Um, I'm kind of getting to know you when I, when I read your connection card and, and I begin to understand um, that you've been a part of our church for a while and kind of learn a little bit about you. And so anyway, thank you for doing that today. How many of you have ever had this happen to you? You do something wrong and then something goes wrong in your life and suddenly you hear a voice inside of you, this is happening to you because of what you did. And by the way, this is the Lord and I'm doing this so that you'll learn a lesson and so that you'll learn not to sin. How many of you have ever heard that voice? Show of hands, how many of you have ever heard that voice? Just so you know, that is not the Lord. Let me say it again, just so you know, that is not the Lord. That is an accusation from the enemy. Your enemy, the devil, is trying to get you to view God's love for you as conditional based upon how well you do, what you do, rather than seeing his love as unconditional. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 5. But God wants us to recognize that his love for us is unconditional. Now that's hard for us to understand because our love many times is conditional. My wife and I were having a discussion about this this past week. And we were talking about my conditional love towards her. And and I just said, look, it's just where I'm at. I would love to always operate in unconditional love, but I don't. I'm not like God, but God always operates in unconditional love. Some of you are looking at me like, Pastor Richie, you don't operate in unconditional love. Yes, most of the time I do, but some of the times I don't. In fact, I was thinking about this with my boys. You know, one of the things that my boys are 18 years old and 22 years old, and when we go out to eat, I still buy their dinner. I still buy their lunch. Now, I know some of you are thinking, no, they need to be big enough and pay for themselves. Okay, you can work that out yourself, but I still pay for their dinner. In fact, a few weeks ago, we had gone out to eat. I guess it's been a little bit longer than that. We'd gone out to eat, and um, we were eating with another couple, and the waiter brought us the, the, the ticket, and I said, hey, give that to my son. My son, Christian, got it. He looked at it and goes, oh, hey, Dad, this is for you. <laughs> didn't even second guess, didn't even think, oh, well, I'm not really sure if I'm supposed to pay for this. And, you know, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about what ha- is happening is my boys know that I want to take care of them. Now, what can happen in our lives is we can say, well, I'll take care of them if they'll learn to appreciate it, right? But just so you know, your kids aren't ever going to fully appreciate all that you do. And if you're going to operate towards them based upon the way that they're operating towards you, you will withhold a lot from them. And when I begin to understand that, look, I want to do this because I love them, not because they'll, they'll appreciate it or so that they'll spend time with dad, because I've got one son that, Lord, he was born a traveling man who loves to be gone all the time. And there's times I'm thinking, man, I wish he would stay at home and hang out with me. But listen, I'm not doing things towards him. I'm not even using this message today, honestly, to, to try to get him or manipulate him to stay home more, I think. Lord, you know my heart. All right. But I do it because I love my boys. And God loves you and I unconditionally. 
I'm telling you, it's mind-blowing when we begin to understand that. The problem is, is that sometimes we think there's this conditional element of God's love and that he is accusing us of things, that there's an accusation that he's bringing against our performance, that look what I've done for you, why are you not at church all the time? Why are you not reading your Bible all the time? Why are you not praying all the time? Now, are all those things important? Yes, but they're the response of knowing how perfectly God loves us unconditionally. So here's what Jesus says in John chapter 5. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. So Jesus is not the accuser. Kind of nod your head if you're with me on that. Jesus is not the accuser. See, a lot of times religion, even Christian religion, puts Jesus as the accuser. He's not the accuser. He's the Savior. And a Savior saves you. He saves you from your sins, from your mistakes, even from the penalty of your sins and mistakes. He saves you. He has not come to accuse you. He's not come to kick you when you're down. He has not come to point out your mistakes. He has come to be a savior. That's why the angels were able to proclaim in the Christmas message in Luke 2, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. He didn't come to be a lawgiver. He didn't come to be a fault finder. He came to be a savior. So Jesus here, in this verse that we're looking at today, he's talking to the Jewish people of his day. Now sometimes we can read the New Testament and we're going, why did they just get it? But they had been steeped in this understanding of the law for years and years and years. I'm telling you, this is a total paradigm shift, what Jesus is beginning to say. And he says this, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, ow, in whom you trust. Now, again, this is a, a paradigm shift that it was Moses that was actually accusing them. Because here's what the Word of God says in John 1. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see in this verse a, a clash of the old and the new covenant. The law was given right, through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, just so you know, grace is on the side of truth, because we sometimes think that those are opposite. Well, I've been graceful for a while, but now it's time for me to do the truth. You need to change. You need to stop. Right? We want to move out of grace and start operating in the truth. But grace is on the side of truth, not on the side of the law. So people start asking, well, isn't it important that we live right? Absolutely it is, but we have to understand our motives behind right living. Motives matter. Because if you don't have your motives right, what you'll be doing basically is understanding what God's done or thinking about what you need to do. See, there's a difference between living right to be right in God's eyes and living right because you're already right in God's eyes. The difference is law and grace. Because you see, the law condemns the best of us. Grace saves the worst of us. The law demands righteousness. Grace imparts righteousness. The first miracle of the law through Moses was turning the water into blood, which resulted in death. The first miracle of grace through Jesus was turning the water into wine, resulting in celebration and life. 
The law points out your sin. Grace points out your righteousness. The law is D-O, do. Grace is D-O-N-E, done. So this is a very interesting verse because the word accuse here appears twice and it means to be a plaintiff, to charge someone with an offense. When someone takes you to court, they are the plaintiff. They are charging you with some offense. So the plaintiff is the accuser. Are you all picking up what I'm laying down? You've got to follow this train of thought. And this word comes from a Greek word that means against one in the assembly. That is a complainant at law, specifically Satan. Now Satan is a lawyer. How many of you knew that this morning? Listen, I've got a lot of friends that are lawyers, and if you're here today and you're a lawyer, you can take heart because Jesus is a lawyer also. In fact, he's been representing mankind to the Father for 2,000 years. Saying Jesus has been our lawyer because the plaintiff, Satan, has been accusing God to us and God and us to God. Have, have you ever noticed that the devil is in the accusing business? That's why he likes to try to get you offended at God. God, your word says by his stripes I'm healed. Why is it not happening? God, your word says that you are my provider. Why is it not happening? God, you must not really care about me. Or with one another. Can you believe what they said? Can you believe the way that they're dressed today? Can you believe Pastor Richie would have the gall to say that from the platform? And what happens is an accusation comes and we take the accusation and we get offended. We get offended with God. We get offended with one another. Amen. Come on, I'm preaching today. So it's the devil, not God, who's the one accusing you. So now when we begin to hear a voice in our head, can you believe what they're doing? We just say, hey, look, they probably didn't know. They probably didn't understand. What's grace do? It gives them the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes you got to go and you got to talk through some problems. you got to deal with some issues. But grace always gives the benefit of the doubt. So the devil, not God, is the one who has come to accuse you. In fact, the Greek word for devil, diabolos, means false accuser, slanderer. I want you to notice that the devil is not called the killer, the stealer, or the destroyer. Though he is and does all of those things, he's called the accuser. So God is not the accuser, the devil is the accuser. God is the justifier. Now it's important that we understand this because if you don't, you will not understand the primary way that the devil, your enemy, gets access into your life. Even as a follower of Jesus Christ, we open up the door to the enemy many times by receiving the accusation brought about by the enemy. Because long before he steals from you, long before he kills and destroys the blessing of God that's in your life, he comes as an accuser. And then he kills, steals, and destroys what we, when we receive the accusation into our lives. Here's how it works. See, in order for a plaintiff to bring you into court, he must believe that the law is on his side, right? I mean, it, it would be, no one in their right mind would bring you into court if they didn't think that the law was on their side. So in order for a plaintiff to bring you into court, they have to believe that the law is on their side. So what the devil does is he uses the, God's law to actually accuse you. 
But thank God that God provided a way out from underneath the accusation. Here's what Colossians 2 says. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning you were lost and hopeless and without God. There wasn't anything that you could do to make things right with God. He has made alive together with him. God brought you out of being spiritually dead to make you alive with Christ Jesus, having forgiven you all trespasses. You mean, you mean all, yeah, all trespasses, past trespasses, present trespasses, future trespasses, you've been forgiven all trespasses. How many of you know when the Bible says all, it actually means all? It doesn't mean some, it doesn't mean certain things, it means all trespasses. Watch this, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. See, it was the Ten Commandments written by the hand of God that when Jesus died on the cross, he wiped out the handwriting of requirements so that we are no longer guilty of those handwritten requirements that were against us or that were contrary to us. Now, here's how the devil will make this work in your life. Let's just say you're watching HGTV. Any HGTV fans here today? Love to get on there. All right. And you're watching the show Million Dollar Listings. I love to watch that show, Million Dollar Listings. Now, all of a sudden you're thinking, man, I would love to have a 12,000 square foot house that cost over $15 million. Man, that would be so awesome, right? Okay, some of you know. But I would love to have that. Well, immediately the devil will come in and he'll say, thou shalt not covet. Right? Now... How many of you know that that's an accusation against you? The devil is bringing an accusation against you. That's why the Bible says that the law is against us, that it's not for us. And the devil wants to use the law to accuse you. And if we don't recognize that about the law, that it was nailed to the cross and fulfilled in the body of Jesus Christ, the devil will use the law to nail us. Now, in the very next verse, right after this, it says that he, after he says that he has wiped out the handwriting of requirements, the Bible continues on and it says this in verse 15. Having disarmed principalities, that means the top leaders, the the, the hierarchy of of the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. God has disarmed the demonic activity that wages war against you and I. Let me say that again because some of you may not believe that. God has disarmed the demonic activity that wages war against you and I. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. That's why we recognize today as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not ever fighting for victory. We're fighting from a position of victory. We've already conquered. We've already taken the territory. And now the enemy is trying to come in and steal back from us. He's trying to kill things in our lives. He's trying to destroy things in our life. But we've all, we are already more than conquerors. So we see that God has disarmed Satan. Of course, that means he had to be armed in the first place, right? Right? You can't disarm somebody who isn't armed. So it's important to understand what it was that Satan was armed with in the first place because God has disarmed Satan. So what was it that Satan was armed with? What was his weapon? His weapon was God's law, the handwriting of requirements. Do you know the devil will use God's law to knock you over the head every time he gets a chance? When you do well, 
you haven't done quite well enough, right? Because he knows that if you bring the law back into your life or if he can put the law right in front of you, you'll get your eyes on the law instead of on Jesus. You'll go back to doing what I must do rather than understanding what already has been done. Then he'll use the law to accuse and condemn you. How many of you would be honest today by a show of hands and say, I missed the mark and blew it this week? Show of hands. If you were really bad, let's do two hands. If you were really bad, let's do two hands and a leg. All right. He'll use the law to accuse you and to condemn you, to get you to think, I can't do it. This is why Christians give up all the time on trying to live for God is because they recognize they're trying to live by the law, trying to do right, trying to do right. Trying, I just can't do it. I got to give up. But when you understand it's already been done, oh, I fail, missed the mark, get back up. God, thank you that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus, not on the law the devil is using to accuse and condemn me. Are y'all picking up what I'm laying down today? So you'll watch Million Dollar Listings, back to our TV program. And you'll think, man, I wish I had one of those houses. And he'll bring this accusation against you. There you go, covenant again. He'll say, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then he'll get some ad company to create some scantily dressed ad campaign. And you'll look at it and you'll go, oh, my goodness, I shouldn't be looking at this. Where's that remote? Let me get that, find that remote so I can switch the channel real quick. <laughs> honey, honey, I, I can't find it. Where's it at? Where's, there it is. Okay. Right? And he'll come in immediately. Thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> or you'll be driving behind somebody who's a little slow. You'll get a bit angry. Tell them they're number one. The devil will come in. There you go again, sinning in your anger. It's what the devil does. He keeps on reminding you and reminding you and reminding you about where you missed the mark. He keeps accusing you and accusing you and accusing you about where you missed the mark. Using literally the law of God. See, he's the plaintiff. Believing that the law is on his side, he is accusing you using the law. But the Bible says, having disarmed principalities and powers. Jesus has disarmed the devil. And it was at a great cost that he disarmed the devil. The cross was the price that Jesus paid to disarm the devil. In other words, the law says the soul that sins must die, but Jesus died in our place. The law says that you're cursed if you don't keep the entire law, but Jesus became a curse for us, and now the curse is reversed. And we are blessed. Jesus took our place so that we could take his place. So for you and I today, even though we don't keep the law perfectly, even though we break the law, there is no curse. Because Jesus became our curse when he hung on the cross. So today, what you and I boast in is the finished work of Jesus Christ. When the accuser comes, God, I thank you that it's not about me. God, I thank you it's about what Jesus has done. Does that cause you to want to go out and sin and live a crazy lifestyle? really doesn't. When you really understand what Jesus did for you, it causes you to fall in love with Jesus. It causes you to want to know God's word so that you can understand the inheritance that God has for you and I. Listen, there's an incredible inheritance, but some of you are missing the reading of the will. Amen? Some of you are not getting into the will every day going, God, what is the inheritance that you have for me? Here's the inheritance from Isaiah 54. It says this, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. 
And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage. It's talking about the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Now, what we have a tendency to believe about this verse is that there aren't going to be any weapons formed. Right? You become a child of God and no more weapons are going to be formed. But that's not what it says because God doesn't promise that there won't be any weapons formed. You don't have to live very long to recognize the enemy is constantly developing new weapons against us. New strands of viruses, new ways of tripping us up, new ways to try to get us to fall. There are constantly new weapons being formed against us both individually and collectively as a church and even as a nation. But the Bible says that no weapon formed against you, again, it's not saying that weapons wouldn't be formed. God promised that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. No weapon formed against you, against your family, against your children shall prosper. Now, we love to quote that first line, but too often we stop right there and we forget that first line has a second part to it. And it says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, but it goes on to say, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. So twice in this verse, we see the phrase against you, no weapon formed against you, every tongue which rises against you. And it goes on to say what you should do when a weapon or a tongue comes against you. It says, you shall condemn. It doesn't say, let me get in and talk to Pastor Richie and get him to condemn it. Right? It doesn't say that I have to go to God going, God, can't you see what's happening? See, again, it is time for us to stop speaking to God about how big our mountain is and start speaking to our mountain about how big our God is. You shall condemn. We need to refuse to accept the accusation. I said this last week, listen, we can't control the thoughts that come into our mind, but we can stop them from building a nest there. We need to stop going, look, what, what, that's not right. No, that's not what the word of God says. We got to refuse to accept the accusation because here's the thing. Many times we'll use the devil, the, the mouth, excuse me, use the devil. The devil will use the mouth of people in your lives. He will use the mouth of family. He will use the mouth of mill. Well-meaning friends. I'm getting my tang all tangled up all of a sudden. He'll use fellow Christians. Listen, he'll even use you. Man, I had to catch myself this morning. Something was kind of happening. I didn't sleep very good last night. So I woke up this morning going, oh man, I'm really nervous about speaking today. Because, oh man, every time I'm tired, I say some crazy thing. And I start, I, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm receiving an accusation. Let me stop that. See, it's not just your enemies that the devil will use to accuse you. He'll use you. He'll use friends, neighbors. So what we are to do when every tongue rises up against you in judgment, God says that you, not your spouse, not your family members, you must condemn it. But too often what we do is we just lay down. We give up. Oh, okay, God, I guess this is just your will for me to go through tough times. God, I guess this is just it. We lay down and we play dead. We accept the accusation. And then we wonder why the weapons that are being formed against us are prospering. Listen, even when the accusation comes from people that you know and love, reject the accusation. Operate in grace, but reject the accusation. Don't reject the person, but reject the accusation. 
Since God has justified you, who can accuse you? How can an accusation get in? It can't unless you allow it. And what this constant accusation tries to do is it tries to get you to change the focus of your life. It tries to get you to get your eyes off of Jesus because, again, we become like the thing that we're beholding and off his finished work. And it tries to put your eyes back on yourself, what you've got to do, how you've got to perform in order to see God's blessing. So as long as you're being stolen from and long before things are being killed or destroyed in your life, the enemy is already accusing That's the primary way the enemy gets access into your life, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's accusing. So again, Isaiah 54, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. How many of you recognize by faith that your righteousness is from the Lord, not from your own works? Show of hands. Hold them up high. Look around for just a second. Listen, you recognize that by faith. You can put your hands back down. You thought, man, I knew I was going to go to a Pentecostal church and they're going to get me to raise up my hands. You have to recognize it by faith, not by how you feel. It's easy to understand when you feel righteous that your righteousness comes from God. But when you don't feel righteous, like when you blew it, missed the mark, had a wrong thought, whatever, that's the the greatest time that you need to say, God, thank you that your righteousness is from me. You receive it by faith, and you cannot have faith without speaking it. You shall condemn. It's not just a thought process. I'm telling you, the devil wants to get the church silent. We need to get vocal. We need to start standing our ground for our children, standing our ground for our marriage, standing our ground for our finances, standing our ground for our, for our health. It's time we get vocal. See, Psalms 107 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's great for you to think that, but let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 2 Corinthians 4, and since we have that same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, right? So how do we condemn the accusation of the enemy? We believe. What do we believe? Every promise found in the word of God. Pastor Rich, you don't know what's going on in my life. Listen, you may have some facts that right now are contradicting the word of God, but you can choose to go with the facts or you can choose to go with the truth. I'm always choosing the truth. I don't understand why the facts don't happen sometimes the way that I would like them to happen, but I'm confident resting in the truth in God's word. Every promise in the word of God is made available to me because I'm in Christ Jesus. Every promise, if you're a child of God today, is made available to you because you're in Christ Jesus. I believe, therefore I speak. We need to speak words of life and declare the promises of God, not the accusation of the enemy. And again, it might be coming from you or someone else, but we declare the promises of God. This is how we walk in the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. This is how we learn to disarm, if you will. He's already been disarmed. Don't rearm him with the word of God and let him into your life. This is how we disarm every weapon that is formed against us. Listen, are you ready for victory today? We believe, therefore we... We believe, therefore we... You try it right now. We believe, therefore we speak. We believe and we speak. We believe and we speak. Let me pray over you today.
Father, I just pray right now. Father, today. This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com.